When it came to voting for Trump or Biden, I was conflicted. But for Senate, the choices are clear. Voting for radical liberals Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff means that Pelosi, AOC, and Bernie could be running our country. A far-left agenda that will shut our economy down and kill jobs. Warnock and Ossoff, too radical. And the stakes are too high. Paid for by ESA Fund, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. ESAfund.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission, and you're listening to Energy Matters. My co-host, as always, Casey Boyce from Decatur, Georgia. Good morning, Casey. Top of the morning, Tim. I hope you are doing well. Your family having a, a, a great time over there now. Your kids uh, fruitfully occupied. Yeah, you know, we're uh, at the end of the school year, so they're out and very much looking forward to Christmas, even though it's going to look a little different this year, um, as it is for many families. So, you know, it's it's a fun time of year. Well, being smart, I mean, we all want our kids to be smart, but we're going to be talking today about a lot of things smart as it relates to the grid, air conditions, hot water heaters, and we've got uh, a guest today who knows an awful lot about controllers that will make your house uh, partly robotic almost. Uh, His name is Eric Rayberg, and uh, Eric is with Armada Power. He's coming to us from the great state of Texas. Eric, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show, Commissioner. And Eric, you went to the Ohio State uh, University. You guys are awfully, awfully proud putting that article in front of your school. That's right. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we make it into the uh, Big Ten Championship here. Well, we'll see about that. It's uh, a struggling year for football in, in the Peach State. But we want to talk today about this, these controllers that you, that you use on hot water heaters. And, you know, I want to set this up by saying that really for decades, power companies, utilities have made agreements, arrangements with customers uh, to issue what they call power credit. So back in back in the day in Georgia, it would just be attaching a device to your actual air condition unit, and then every time the power company cycled that off, they would give you a $2 credit, and there would be a certain number of times that they would do that, and you would participate in that. And I think we had upwards to 62 63,000 customers doing that. And Casey, this is a demand response mechanism. Define that for our audience. Yeah, well, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Demand response is an absolutely horrible name. But basically, the idea is giving some more flexibility on the demand side of the grid. So, you know, if you think about the electric system, the supply has to equal demand instantaneously in real time. And if that doesn't happen, then bad things happen. You get blackouts, brownouts, all sorts of issues. And obviously none of us wants that, right? And so, you know, traditionally how utilities have dealt with that is they ramp up and down their supply, their generation. Um, But as we get more intermittent renewables on the grid um, and as technology gets more uh, advanced, quite frankly, we have the ability to be more flexible on the demand side. So when we use electricity can change without changing, you know, kind of the impact to why we use electricity, right? We still get hot water, we still get, you know, a warmer cold house, we still get lights, etc. And so Eric, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about how you guys play into that. Yeah, Eric, Eric, you're using a controller to, to control a hot water heater. And we know that air conditions use a lot of energy. But what folks might not know is that hot water heaters are probably second in the home, right? Tell us a little bit about why you chose the hot water heater and how your system works. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, a water heater is uh, probably your second largest load in the house, usually around 17%. 
And uh, as, as Casey mentioned, you know, electricity is one of those weird products where it has to be delivered at the speed of light as it's produced, right? There's essentially almost no storage in the in the system out there. And as we look at, you know, going forward in the power grid where you're going to get more renewable assets, so things that are not traditionally dispatched but are dependent on the wind and the sun, uh, that lack of storage becomes an even greater challenge. And so you can deploy electrochemical batteries, which is you know a new technology that's coming down in price. Uh, but there's a lot of load out there, things like you mentioned, you know, HVAC, air conditioning, uh, as well as water heating that could be controlled. And so what we're doing is we're taking the electric water heater and putting a controller on it, and we are able to shift when that water heater heats up in time. And shifting that usage in time is storage. Eric, you know, I, I don't know how many people that are listening uh, to this show kind of think back to their high school chemistry or physics classes, right? But you know, one of the cool things about water is that it's got a high, you know, specific heat is I think the technical term, right? It takes a lot of energy to heat up water. And, you know, th- that's good news, right? Because it also means that, you know, it holds that heat for a long time. It doesn't heat up or cool down very quickly. So it allows you to do the kind of thing that you're talking about in a really efficient way, right? Exactly right. And and so there's, there's two nice things about that. One, uh, this, that specific heat, that thermal storage is significant. And then two, you know, water, uh, just like any fluid, changes density based on temperature. And so your hot water tends to float towards the top of your water heater uh, and cold water tends to stay at the bottom. And so when you draw water out of a tank, that hot water comes out of the top and cold water comes into the bottom. And if you were to wait just a few minutes or seconds to start heating up that bottom part of that tank, it's okay because you still have this this disk of hot water at the top that you can draw from. So what's nice about controlling something like a water heater is that you can get a lot of grid uh, performance out of it, a lot of time shifting, and no one notices. Whereas in contrast, you know, something like uh, turning off someone's air conditioner uh, on the, the hottest day of the year, um, you know, you're, you're in Georgia, I'm sure it gets quite warm there in the summer. Uh, and and so if you if you start shutting people off in that time period, uh, they might start to notice it. And, and also, sometimes, you know, you just feel like the air temperature is different in your house, even just day to day, even if you haven't touched anything. And the psychological aspect of somebody maybe controlling that will make you feel like, hey, you know, the, this is this is invasive or this is this is uh, uh, causing me some inconvenience. So I, I think, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of really good things uh, for demand management technology out there to, to match that storage up. But being non-invasive is, is great. And I think this new check temp program that Georgia Power has introduced that would take a person that had either a Nest thermostat, an Ecobee like Casey or an Emerson thermostat you give them a $50 credit to sign up on the program. And then if they buy the thermostat from the Georgia Power Marketplace, they get another $50 credit. And they agree, Eric and Casey, to allow their system to be cycled 10 times during the winter and 10 times during the summer. There's no specific credit that you get for each cycle like it was in the old days. But it's also... Uh, it, not nearly as invasive, right? So your air condition's not going to just, you know, willy-nilly be turned off. They're going to give you a 24-hour notice and say, tomorrow we're going to cycle your your AC off, but we're going to turn down your temperature before 1 o'clock and pre-cool your house. And then sometime in the afternoon, we're going to cycle it down for 20 minutes. Uh, and... Uh, And and so there's a a certain amount uh, in in terms of the rules that they will cycle. So if, you know, in a given hour, they're going to cycle it possibly down for two 20 minute cycles, but then they're going to turn it back on for 10 minutes and try to, you know, to try to at least maintain the temperature. So, Eric, I could see Georgia Power offering a rebate for something like your product like a $50 rebate to put the controller on. Uh, and then they would agree to be able to cycle that maybe, maybe you know, 30 times or 40 times. Because as you said, it's not going to be as noticeable on the hot water as it is with the AC. I mean, does that sound like something other states has done? Or would you recommend that we do it in a different way? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think there's uh, one, I think it's great that, that Georgia Power is going with an approach that is incentivizing uh, people to participate essentially in this kind of real-time energy management. Um, and I, I would say that that there's there's a lot of options that you'd have with water heating because it is sort of this invisible appliance. Um, we regularly will curtail for um, hours at a time, three to four hours every single day um, at, at some utilities, and, and we've never had a, a customer complaint. So yeah, I think to, to the degree that um, you could set it up as, hey, we're going to control it, you know, 30 times, maybe, well, actually 30 times a month would be every day. But, you know, you could do a significant number of controls, or you could also use use mode settings. So allow the customer to say, hey, this is the amount of participation I want to take. So be very aggressive in in shaving peak, and perhaps that ties to a larger incentive. Or hey, I've got you know guests coming. I want to actually opt out for a period. Um, you know, I think using a, a, our customer app to 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 take those inputs would also be a, a useful useful feature. Well, and I think it works the other way too, right? I, I heard a number of years ago about a, a, a cooperative in the Midwest that where they've got a lot of wind power, right? And prices on the wholesale market go negative overnight, which means that there's, you know, the, the generator is actually paying people to use power because there's so much of it on the grid. And so this co-op was essentially getting paid to take the wind power and they were putting it into their customers' hot water heaters overnight. And the customers got a very reduced rate, uh, woke up with hot water um, and it was a win-win, right? It reduced costs for everyone and allowed uh, that renewable resource to be used. Yeah, Eric, when we come back, I want us to talk uh, a little bit more about locales where you've seen this happening uh, and and it's worked successfully. I want us to talk about how you came up with the idea for this uh, and, you know, how it relates back to this smart home, smart thermostat, AMI meter, all this all this cool stuff that's been invented. So uh, how can folks find you on the Internet? We're at uh, www.armadapower.com. Uh, we are also on, on LinkedIn as well. And I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. Casey? I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. Yeah, so stick around. We're going to be back with Eric with Armada Power in just a minute. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. That's the jingle bell rock. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce, along here with your host, Tim Eccles and Eric Rayberg from Armada Power. And Eric, before the break, we were talking about your technology to help control water heaters and, and you know, provide grid support um, without really impacting 
customers at all. I mean, people still get hot water. Uh, could, tell us maybe a little bit about how you came up with this idea and sort of the genesis. How, how did you end up working on this? Sure. So I, I actually started my career at an investor-owned utility at American Electric Power in their research group. Um, and uh, I eventually went on to a company called the Battelle Memorial Institute, which is a, uh, a research institute in Columbus, Ohio. And they were building a uh, energy practice there, energy technology. And we were looking at lots of different ways to try to to figure out how can we take uh, the lowest cost controllable storage uh, and, and and get it into the market as fast as possible. Um, as you know, uh, Commissioner, uh, a lot of energy uh, is really a very regulatory driven process uh, for for good reasons. Um, but then there's also you know makes it sometimes difficult to innovate and bring new products. So at the time we were looking at the PJM market, wholesale markets, and where you could essentially provide a technology offering meet the requirements of that uh, marketplace, and then immediately go generate revenue. So that was kind of a proof point for the technology while we then worked on, you know, how do we actually sell this into a utility context where this is a controllable grid asset and you're looking at a, at a, at a sort of regulatory capital model there. Casey, let me ask you, do demand response things like we've been talking about the Georgia Power check temp and and Eric's product, is it more beneficial to customers if they live in a market like PJM or in a regulatory state like Georgia? So, you know, the nice thing about PJM and and Eric, you know, kind of alluded to this is that there is a market for third parties to provide some of these grid services, right? So you don't have to go through the utility to actually monetize something that helps the grid in these kinds of wholesale markets. You know, I think the... Um, construct of a, a you know completely vertically integrated model like we've got here in Georgia and in much of the rest of the Southeast, it really depends on the regulatory construct, right? I mean, if, if you're telling uh, the utility that they have to invest in demand side assets, well, there's an incentive for them to do that clearly. Um, but if you're not, then, um, you know, something like the, the AC program you mentioned in the first segment, Tim, um, you know, isn't really something that they're going to spend a whole lot of time and effort doing. And by having people be able to buy the devices from their marketplace, that does give an additional incentive to the power company because I guess you're, you're, you know, you're letting them be involved in more of the transaction, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really bullish on energy marketplaces. I think it's it's good for consumers. You get an instant, you know, point of sale rebate uh, oftentimes, so things are a lot less expensive up front. Uh, you have the opportunity to enroll in other programs like this temp check program when you buy the thermostat, or you know, if you were to buy something like uh, the device that uh, Eric's company makes off the the marketplace. So I think they're really good offerings. You know, I think the bigger question is as we move to having more variable renewables on the grid. How are we going to enable demand side flexibility? Um, and you know, having some of these smart devices in homes, whether it's a smart thermostat or a smart water heater control or anything else like that, um, really is going to help provide that flexibility so that we're not you know unnecessarily turning off renewables when they're producing more than we need, or that we're not unnecessarily causing blackouts when you know people are demanding more power than the, the grid can provide. Eric, you're in Texas, and a lot of people point to Texas uh, as you know, just being this phenomenal state because they do have the best of all things, right? They've got you know the great wind, they've got the solar, they've got the you know the deregulated market, uh, and, and and of course Texans are quite proud about all of this. Do you see Texas as a state that, that kind of excels in this demand response area, or are there other areas that you would kind of point to and say, you know what, this is where it's working the best at? That's a great question, um, and I've only been a Texan for about three months, so I'm not I'm not super entrenched in the marketplace here. But uh, you, you do bring up a good point in that there's there's so many different um, structures across the country, right? Whether you have a blend of a wholesale market, whether it's completely vertically integrated. And I think where the, the challenge really lies for, you know, anybody in this product space is um, we can sort of define the amount of value that we create, like value economics. When you look at just electrons flowing across the grid and what that value of storage would be, 
what you would be getting in terms of carbon reduction or you know maximizing generation or, or hedging fuel costs. The challenge ultimately becomes how do you turn that value into actual cash flow? Because you know we're all businesses at the end of the day, right? So uh, investor-owned utility needs to make money for their shareholders. Um, essentially, a technology vendor, you know, we need to have a business case to sell a product. So figuring out the the where where those regulatory barriers lie, where those marketplace barriers lie, and where that cash flow economics can 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 occur. That's that's I think the the real the real crux of the the, the challenge that we face. And Casey. You know, is is that the job of the utility? Is that the job of the regulators? Uh, you know, is it is is it the legislature? I mean, where where do you see, or is it a combination of all? Where do you see, you know, the right kind of compact being established? I, I mean, I think ultimately it falls at the feet of the regulators, right? I mean, the the idea, at least conceptually, if not in practice, is that. Um, because we grant utilities a monopoly on something, right? Here in Georgia, it's it's kind of the full stack. Even in Texas, there are utilities that have a monopoly on transmission and distribution, uh, even though customers can choose their electric provider. Um, the, the job of the regulator is to make those monopolies behave as though they were in competitive markets, right? And so, you know, the nice thing about competitive markets is that they do enable you to capture value in the way that Eric's talking about, right? Like you create value and then there is a, a mechanism for that value to be turned into dollars. And so, you know, to me, it seems like that's that's your job <laughs> as as easy or harder as it, as it may be, Tim, right? To, to say, okay, you know, how is value being provided to the grid and to energy customers and you know how is that value then apportioned between you know the utility customers and third parties yeah and eric it's it's easier said than 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 it really is because you've got the status quo that you know that that's the way it's always been done you've got uh, the fact that You've got big utilities like, in our case, Georgia Power is a a mammoth corporation. And in general, large corporations don't turn on a dime. Um, And then you've got uh, and and then you've got, I guess, the geographic constraints of of where we're at. We're not in Texas. We don't have a Houston. We don't have, you know, fracking going on. We don't have oil wells. We, We don't have any of that. We don't have any wind. And so all of that all of that factors in. And we do have to, to Casey's point, the regulators like me, we we have to kind of drip these ideas in and, you know, test them out and hope for success and then try to scale them right as quick as we can possibly scale them. You know, and frankly, we've we've had a lot of success with solar and continuing to, to scale solar. We're. Uh, you know, the hottest day of the year, we will use about 17,000 megawatts in Georgia, and we pretty soon will have about 5,000 of that as solar. I think that's, a, you know, given that we didn't have any 10 years ago, uh, you know, to speak of, we, we've made great progress. But do you agree with Casey that this is this is more of a regulatory issue? I, I agree that it's a that's a large component of it. I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't lay all of the responsibility on regulatory. I mean I think the you know innovators of the world have a responsibility to kind of come up with those innovations and um, you know it's it's an, an iterative process, right? We need to we need to be constantly looking at all right, how can we improve upon the status quo because that's sort of our responsibility to society, right? Uh, and then you know working with you know the, the the those large businesses to sort of figure out like okay you have to try to maintain a certain you know shareholder value in your your business but you also have the responsibility and mandate to deliver safe uh, reliable electric power um, so we have to we have to link all those all those pieces together in our last couple of minutes in this segment uh, let's talk about you as an uh, as an inventor as an entrepreneur and the challenges I mean even of this system were there trial and error fits and uh, you know, starts with this. How, how did you come about this product? For sure, yeah, and and, and you know, I'm I'm only one part of the team. I mean, there's a, a, a group of brilliant uh, engineers that I work with as well on the Armada Power team that we've 
done you know a lot in the space for innovating on hardware and software um, and it has been an iterative process you know we're on our second generation of in-house controller uh, we took lessons learned from from designs in, uh, in the past um, and that's kind of led us down this path of, of, of you know why we've put things in that we've put in we want it to be as cheap as possible as easy to install as possible because you know guess who did some of the first installs of these devices <laughs> you know I was out there doing those and I realized it was a real real pain and and so we need to figure out how do we make this easier because one of the bigger barriers to installing a product like this is, is a truck roll and that and that installer experience. So yeah, I think I think for for us, you know, we've looked at making it better, faster, stronger, cheaper, um, and then the software platform, which is really where the rubber hits the road. It needs to serve the utility industry, right? So what are they doing for grid management? How are they scheduling demand response events? Uh, getting measurement and verification because they need to show their stakeholders, they need to show their commissioners, hey, we we invested in this in this program, this product. It's actually performing. It's getting us the grid benefit that we thought, and we're you know we're we're reducing demand. Well, I want to bring you back one more time, uh, Casey, for for one final segment. I want to I want to talk about some um, some futuristic things. Uh, I see a space rocket behind you, Eric, as we record on Zoom. I want to talk about the impact that SpaceX and NASA and those technologies might have uh, on us in the future. Energy, uh, what it might look like uh, down the road. We'll have some fun as we come back uh, on this next segment. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. We're talking to Eric Rayberg of Armada Power, my co-host and I, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? It's good. This is a great conversation about how we enable the future of grid flexibility. I mean, Casey, you've got a smart house. Uh, When you think about smart, what does that mean to you in a residence? So it's interesting because, you know, there's nobody that I know that actually buys electricity or therms of gas. And if, by the way, if you are one of those people that like intentionally buys that stuff, um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Casey Boyce. I'd like to hear from you. Um, but no, people buy this stuff to keep their house warm or, you know, cool in the summer or hot water or whatever. And, you know, part of what we're talking about here is making sure that, you know, the utility can continue to deliver those services in a way that, you know, is the same or better for customers. And we talked a little bit about that in our first two segments. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I'm interested in, Eric, uh, and, you know, we talked about this the other week when when you and I first met is, can you enable things on the customer side? So to give an example, you know, regular listeners know I've got solar on my roof. And one of my frustrations with my Ecobee thermostat 
is the fact that I can't optimize around when my specific solar is producing. Ecobee will optimize around Georgia Power's time of use rate schedule, but it doesn't take into account the fact that I've got panels on my roof, right? So, you know, is your product able to, you know, now or in the future, provide some of those customer benefits where they can look at it and say, okay, this is how I want this device to perform to, you know, enhance my comfort or to enable me to use cheaper electricity or use greener electricity? Like, what's that look like from a consumer standpoint? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in uh, in 2021, so next year, as, as of the time that we're recording this, we're going to be releasing a uh, consumer, a direct-to-consumer option. So if you were not in a, say, utility program having this, this deployed, you could then install a controller on your water heater, use our app to then configure it for a control system like, for example, your, your solar output. Gotcha. So I could optimize around that. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah and making this, making this work and making it simple... Uh, is is a big part of it. And then, of course, then you've got the whole marketing rollout. And in my conversation with with Georgia Power about their check temp uh, program, and we were talking about this early on in the show today, if you if you missed it, this is a program you can sign up for. Georgia Power will give you a $50 credit. And if you buy the smart thermostat, like the Nest thermostat from them in their marketplace, they'll give you another $50 credit. You have to agree to let them cycle your, quote, smart system 10 times in the winter and 10 times in the summer. And it's not just to, you know, it's not just turn the air condition off, turn it on. It's not that that rudimentary uh you know, in a smart home because they give you a 24 hour notice and the algorithm just starts and takes control of your thermostat and is is trying to keep you as comfortable as possible, but cycling it off strategically during the hottest time of the day. So it may actually may actually take your temperature down during the lunch hour two degrees below what you would normally be at, knowing that the algorithm is going to turn you off at two o'clock for 20 minutes. I mean, Eric, how cool is that? It's great. Yeah. And and I think, you know, that's the, the kind of flexibility uh, that you get with a lot of these new smart control systems, right? It's not just like a, the old school way of doing it was putting like a one way uh, pager switch or something like that, which would just cut you off. Uh, whereas now, you know, doing things like pre-cooling, pre-charging, that's a big part of it. Um, we, we do the same thing in, with water heating, uh, and oftentimes it, it lines up very well with the grid needs. So, for example, if you have uh, excess solar peak in the middle of the day, uh, you can use it as a solar sponge. But one of the challenges with solar is sometimes it's not it's it's not coincident with the actual system peak, right? Because the sun comes out at noon, but then Everyone kind of comes home around five o'clock. You still have industrial load. You have residential load. That's what kicks up. And so now you can kind of absorb that. You're preheated for that, 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 that later curtailment period. Casey, how important is communication with the customer in all this? I mean, the fact that the power company sends the text, they're going to send the email, and then the thermostat in the thermostat app, the Nest app on your phone it's also going to tell you tomorrow we're going to, we're planning on turning you off. You can override it if you want. I mean, how important is communication synced up against customer satisfaction? Yeah, I mean, it's it's huge, right? Because I think part of what, you know, even as you're describing the program, Tim, I'm sitting here saying, do I really want to give control over the power company of the temperature in my home? Giving customers notification that these sorts of events are going to happen and giving them control to say, hey, got family coming over. I really need to be able to control my temperature. I need to opt out tomorrow. That's really important for people to say, yeah, I'm good with doing this. And, you know, I think unlike some of the older programs, um, you know, these newer thermostats have the algorithms built in so they can maintain the comfort in your home. So most customers aren't likely to notice. And I think, Eric, you know, because you're talking about water heating here. And as we talked about on an earlier segment, water maintains its temperature pretty well over time. So your ability to either preheat or pre-cool that or, you know, let the the um, water uh, cool down a little bit really shouldn't make a difference to the temperature if people are taking a shower, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that that stratification in there gives you 
uh, a nice even output, even if you're delaying the amount of time that energy goes in. And, uh, you know, I think you, you bring up a great point in terms of, um, you know, customer control. Uh, really, I think you could extend that to essentially any technology, right? Any software that you use, if you feel like as a user, you're not in control of it, it becomes a very frustrating experience. And so, you know, I think anytime you're developing a technology product, you want to make sure you've got buy-in from the end user that they feel like they're in control of it, uh, as well as, you know, on the side of, you know, grid operations as well. Casey and I have talked about hot water heater blankets before, and there's really mixed data about this. And Eric, since you work with hot water heaters a lot, I want to get your opinion on whether if your hot water heater is in your garage, should you wrap it or is the insulation on these on these newer hot water heaters sufficient? I think on the the, the newer hot water heaters, um, the standards keep obviously going up and up and up in terms of the insulation requirement on them. So I think most of your modern water heaters, you're probably good with the existing insulation. Um, that being said, wrapping something with a, with a blanket is going to reduce your standby losses. Um, definitely, if you have an older unit, it probably starts to make sense. And from a grid management perspective, that can sometimes give you a little bit more uh, storage time as well. And listeners, I will post on Twitter a couple of infrared pictures that uh, an organization that I work with took of before and after with hot water heaters uh, wrapped or, and unwrapped. And these were some older uh, water heaters. So you can see the difference in the, these pictures that I'll post up on Twitter at Casey Boyce. Well, in our, in our remaining three minutes, I want to talk a little bit about the future. And uh, I'm, our audience can't see it, but we'll take a picture of it and put it on Twitter uh, the Saturn V rocket that Eric has sitting on his credenza behind him. There's a lot happening with with space in our country right now. Many of us watch the uh, the 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 SpaceX launch and the Dragon and the connection to the space station and the the you know the rocket coming back down and, and landing on the drone ship. I want to ask each of you. What about space are you most excited about for the future? And let me let me start with you, Eric, of, of all this happening out there. And it's not a ton, but of the stuff happening out there, both with the public private partnership with Elon Musk uh, and NASA. What are you most excited about and what are you looking forward to? Sure. Um, and to clarify for our listeners, the, the Saturn V is made out of Legos behind me. Uh, it's not a real one. Um, but uh, as far as the, uh, you know, I think what's <laughs> really happening in the near term. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Give, give people an idea of like how big my, my home office is. Um, <laughs> I, I think in the near term, you know what they're what they're doing with with trying to deliver broadband from space is is very interesting. You know, c- communication technology is one of those things that's a it's a force multiplier for other technologies. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, it, it can be very unpredictable. I mean, it's like when you when you look at like Henry Bessemer way back when invented a more energy efficient way to make steel. Uh, the total amount of energy that got consumed actually skyrocketed. It didn't go down because we found all sorts of new uses for steel. So the same thing could happen. If you have a really, really cheap, ubiquitous communication system, uh, we're, we're probably going to find new applications uh, that, that can take advantage of it. Casey, how about you? I'm really interested in our ability to go explore other worlds. So I'm, I'm excited about going back to the moon. The fact that we haven't done that in my lifetime um, is kind of a bummer. I'm excited about going to Mars um, and some of the technologies that companies like SpaceX and, and others are working on to enable us to get there. I've got a, a friend, actually, who is uh, the head of a company called Mastin Space Systems, and they work on uh, landing uh, things. So they they actually don't do the rockets. Um, they're more about like, how do you, uh, you know, do the descent piece, like landing the SpaceX booster on the, the drone ship. So um, they're working on a project with NASA right now to land on the moon and return samples. And that that's really cool. You know, my nexus with space was, you know, was launched in 1971 when Neil Armstrong came to my little church in Rex, Georgia and stood on the podium and talked about his experience as an astronaut. And I sat there as an 11-year-old on the front row, you know, just goo-goo-eyed at hearing what he had to say and, you know, and his, you know, admonition to us that as I look back on Earth, I realized that there had to be a creator. And his, his admonition really launched my faith walk, and so I'll always be grateful to him for that. 
Hey, we're out of time today. It's great to have Eric Rayberg here with Armada Power. Eric, one more time, your website is armadapower.com. And Casey, where can folks find you? All right, folks can find me on Twitter at Casey Boyce. And Casey works for Escalant, and we appreciate him being our co-host. I'm Tim Eccles. Find me on Twitter at Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev hybrid.com Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payment are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at bettertomorrowsolar.com. That's bettertomorrowsolar.com and see how you make your world better. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host. And wow, I'm on the road. I'm in Savannah with... My original co-host, John Noel. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. John? He's back. Yes, sir. John, we're, uh, we just had a, a lovely dinner and uh, talked a, about a lot of energy-related issues. And, you know, tomorrow we're going to be at Seapoint for the kickoff of their clean tech incubator. And I'm just thinking how important attracting clean tech entrepreneurs and clean energy folks are to our state. I mean, you were once one of those, right? You're a clean tech entrepreneur yourself. That's right. 20 years ago, uh, energy efficiency was a weird thing that people didn't talk about. And there is now uh, this great interest in energy efficiency, things that geeks like you and me, uh, certainly myself, uh, think and talk about a lot. But at that time, starting an energy efficiency company was very strange. And now, that is that is just one simple component of clean tech. In fact, the elementary component, really, of clean tech. Going much further with, you know, with the evolution of solar and now batteries coming along. I mean, it seems like there's always another, there's always another shiny object out there. But some of these shiny objects actually become things that really save people money. Very much so. And I, I think in some ways my company, Energy and Environment, took a, a very simple approach at a simple problem, lighting. We had inefficient lighting, we had incandescence, we had fluorescence, and now those have been converted. Most Mostly people have converted those to high-efficiency fluorescent and LED. And I think that it is it is a uh, a world where, where that that has sort of been a decided thing. Now it's innovations into wind and batteries and solar and all these other innovative uh, technologies. But but also harvesting the sludge off of of wastewater treatment plants. I mean, talking about there's some real niche clean tech things. We'll start talking about some of those tomorrow that are available and people need to be aware of them. And that's kind of why on this radio program that's what we like to talk about john i went to georgia english degree really avoided science and math like the plague i mean how does a person wind up being an energy geek how does a person wind up having an idea that they could commercialize i mean is it the 
the kids that are going to Georgia Tech and, you know, that are that are in classes and they come up with this idea or their professor has them on a, on a project? I mean, where is the the place where these entrepreneurs are, are created? That's a great question. I was a history major, so I was not created in an environment like a Georgia Tech with all the smarts and the people coming out of there. But I think the kids that are coming out of there now, and I can clearly say I'm definitely not a kid, are millennials and other young people that say, listen, I care about the environment and my profession needs to be something that is helping the environment, that is uh, making me money, but also saving the planet. And those things are congruent and they exist within people's minds and their desire to change things. And that is a business model. It can become a business plan and it can become uh, a whole new technology in some cases. If you think about Silicon Valley in California and how it is a place, this is a magnet, right, for, for, for tech innovation. And so people that get an idea, they move out there and they get funding, they get encouragement. There's some co-working space I've, I've, I've looked at out there. Um, so there, there is some, I guess, benefit to that synergy of being with other people. And that's why I'm excited about what they're doing here in Savannah, having a clean tech incubator where they, they are providing free office space for a year for clean tech entrepreneurs. And so if you get several of these people officing together every day, right, they're sharing, uh, they're sharing the lunch table, they're sharing the refrigerator, the ping pong table, and they're talking and they're exploring ideas together. It's maybe in this kind of environment that, that you can take ideas and make them better. Right, and it also takes an environment a, a writ large, a city, uh, a state, if you will, that is that wants to be, uh, that wants to encourage that. Uh, it, it could be a private business that says, "Hey," or or a private private partnership that says, "Hey, we're going to give you uh, free rent for for a year." That's that's good, but to have a city environment that isn't conducive to it, that is also good. I mean, what what role is Mayor uh, Van uh, playing in this? Probably a good one. Probably he is encouraging that sort of thing. I know him and believe that he would be. So there are a lot of cities there are, and it's those cities that will grow and, and, and people will want to move to. Uh, and it, unfortunately, there are cities and places in the country that are not receptive to that, and their economies are being depressed. It is the innovative cities that are interested in clean tech interested in new things that are attracting the young talent that wants to do businesses like this. So, John, let's think back to when you started Energy and Environment. Mm. You know, what was the, the bread and butter service that you provided? You mentioned lighting, uh, but h- how did it grow and how did you develop expertise? Was it from people that you hired that you learned things from or was it just trial trial and error? What, what was that experience like for you as an entrepreneur? I actually wanted to start my own business years and years ago and uh, I had some roommates at the time. I was at a hold up at a little old house in Buckhead and I wasn't doing much. I think I was bartending as a matter of fact and, and, my, and I, said, I want to start my own business and they said hey wait 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 before you do that why don't you go work for somebody that does this and I took their advice and I, and I went out and talked to a guy and one and a fellow that I was learning from a, and, in the business of lighting and he said I want to hire you Noel Elmer Hogsett was his name I mean anybody with the name of Elmer you just got to love him immediately and I love this old man and he hired me and he trained me into the lighting business and eventually when he retired I took his position and then eventually they closed the Atlanta operation and I was left without a job 20 something years ago. I had a small 401k and I said, you know what? I don't want to work for any of the other knuckleheads doing this. And there weren't many in the business of lighting and energy in, in Atlanta at the time. And so I sat down at my dining room table, stared my 401k, knew that I'd lose 40% of it if I cashed it in, cashed it in for the cash and started my company 20 plus years ago doing just lighting because it's what I knew. And then as the technology evolved, I took that on, but then eventually I started saying there's other technologies that are available and I'm in that position today where the company's doing fine on lighting and things, but I wanna do other innovative things. Years ago we said, hey, solar thermal's pretty cool. We did the largest solar thermal system at a hotel on Jekyll Island, the Hampton Inn at the time. And, and then there's all these other technologies that are interesting, batteries, and I got the first Tesla Powerwalls in Georgia. 
um, not selling them, but but getting them. So I I am exploring personally with this technology, and then where I find the adaptive adaptivity for commercial purposes good, I I grab it and I use it for the company. You know, we hear that timing is important in real estate. It's location, location, location. I mean, that's that's what matters in real estate. But when you're selling technology, what is the what is the issue there? Is it price? Is it is it availability? Is it coolness? Payback, payback, payback. People want to know how fast their investment will pay back. And I always like to call myself a, a free market environmentalist, a free market capitalist environmentalist, because all those are, can be congruent at the same time. You can save money. You can save the planet. And, uh, and so I love that about my business. What I want to do now and what I have begun to do over the years is diversify away from the lighting core that we started doing into uh, solar thermal, into other emerging technologies, other energy efficiency things. I think there's a lot more to be done. And that's why when I see and hear innovative things like we are here in Savannah at these clean tech places and these incubators, I just, I love that. And it's why I travel the world looking for the newest and greatest technologies that I feed off of. And I think, uh, I think more of us need to care about it. John, when you're talking to a young entrepreneur who's, you know, getting started with their idea or their business, or maybe they're even a, a solar salesman, right, working for a company, how do you encourage them to learn uh, to be able to convey to customers the important, the important factors? What, what are some of the things that you did as you were selling your product and your services early on? It was simple in lighting. You could sell a brighter light, a better light, a more efficient light. And oh, by the way, your bill went down. That's like a win-win-win. I made a little money, they made a little money, and the planet won. That's a great situation. And that was an easy, in my opinion, an easy thing to sell. Now it's a little more complicated. When you when you got solar, you say, well, I want you to do solar, but the payback is a little longer. Uh, yes, it's good for the planet. And yes, you'll save money, and I'll make a little money as a, as a business person. It's, but it's a longer payback, so it's just a harder sell. Of course, it's getting cheaper, and thanks to people like you and a lot of other people who pushed it on a utility scale, those things are really, the prices are really coming down. But for residential people, the prices are still relatively high. That's a problem. But we're, we're trying to address it with, uh, with paybacks, with, with, if you'll pardon the term, with sex appeal. A lot of things that people are looking at, they want it to be interesting. It's why Tesla is fascinating. There's a lot of, pardon again the term, sex appeal with a Tesla. It's fast. It's good looking. It's all of these things, and it's plush and, and luxurious. People like that, and if we can make our technology more Tesla-like, I think it will appeal to a lot more people. Well, John, it's been great, great discussion. I want to keep things going out here in Georgia, attracting you know, clean tech entrepreneurs and, and making things um, move forward in our state. So thanks a lot for sharing about your experience. Great. Good to be here with you. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. When it came to voting for Trump or Biden, I was conflicted. But for Senate, the choices are clear. Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue are outsiders with backgrounds in business. They've balanced budgets and know how to create jobs. And they'll cut taxes so Georgians can keep more of their hard-earned money. 
and get us back to work safely. To stop the far-left socialist agenda, vote Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue for Senate. Paid for by ESA Fund, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. ESAfund.com.